This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. We're good? Yeah. Okay, welcome to uh, the Ishtar Essentials class here in the old city of Jerusalem. Um, thinking what to, what to share with you guys today. Uh, the sky's the limit. We can really talk about anything. Um, one thing is getting in the mind of Purim. We, we want to get in that mindset. Obviously, people are, like, excited and trying to figure out what they're going to wear and, and what party they're going to go to and, and um, you know, all that kind of stuff regarding Purim. But we want to start getting our heads into the, the depths of Purim, into the deeper Purim. And uh, Purim is of the most intensely Kabbalistic holidays of the entire year. There's nothing quite like Purim at all. And in fact, it, it will defy your understanding of Judaism over and over and over again. Meaning the stuff that will be going on on that day, it just makes no sense. And I can't imagine if someone visiting a observant community, an observant community for their first time ever on Purim, and they're just like, what is going on here? It's like everyone's gone insane. It reminds me of the um, the... The, the great uh, Rabbi Nachman story of a king who woke up, you know the story? King, she's hard to laugh. Sorry, a funny story. The king woke up one day and he hears screaming out in like the town. And so he doesn't know what to do. He runs up to the parapet, he looks out onto the people and he sees everyone's gone mad. Everyone's gone crazy. And everyone's running around like complete lunatics. And so he's, he says, I better lock, maybe it's a disease, maybe it's contagious, I better lock the door to my, you know, my quarters. So he goes running down the parapet and down into his quarters and down to the door. And right when he gets to the door, someone slips in. He's like, uh-oh. But it was good. It was his main advisor. And his main advisor comes in, closes the door, locks the door. He says, we're in trouble. This is what happened. He says that the, the water has been poisoned with a, some kind of something that makes everybody crazy. Everybody becomes a Meshuganet. And the king's like, that's terrible. <laughs> Our whole kingdom has gone Meshuganet? And he says, yeah. And then the advisor, who's the wise man, says, you have no idea how terrible it is. And the king says, why? And he says, because if they're crazy and we're sane, what does that make us? Who's the crazy people now? They're all crazy. We're sane. How are you going to rule an insane people? You're the one who's insane. Everyone else is working it out out there. I mean, they're all going crazy, but they're working it out as crazy people. You're the one who's sane, which means we're not going to be able to stay in power. We're the sane ones. And the king's like, whoa, you're right. This is really terrible. What are we going to do? So the advisor thinks and he says, there's only one thing we can do. If you would like to remain the king, we have to drink the water. We have to also drink the water. And when we drink that water, we'll go crazy. But we're going to put a little mark. We'll put it right under our hairline, just a little mark right above our hairline, a little mark on our foreheads. And we'll be able to at least look at each other and know that it's the water. That it was the water. 
Now, what is that story all about? Anyone here want to try what that story is all about? Anyone want to take that one? What is that story all about? No takers? Waiting for me? The first point you got, right? That that if you're if you're the one who's sane, so you're the one who's crazy. The second point is that can you be crazy and know it, which makes a difference? Can you be crazy and know it and doesn't make a difference? Rav Noach Weinberg once came into Rav Noach Weinberg Zatzal, our holy leader who founded the place you're sitting in and and turned uh, me and many others into into complete nutheads for Judaism. You ever heard of nutheads for Judaism? <laughs> I'm part of that club. Anyway, so Rav Noah Weinberg just had this way of making you love Judaism like it was the greatest thing that ever happened. And of course it never goes away. So you, know, you can imagine all our children just rolling their eyes at the Shabbos table. Like, <laughs> we're like, kids, it's kiddish. They're like, yeah, dad, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> now, Rav Noach came in one day. He comes into the base midrash, stands up in front of us. It's the usual Rav Noach sh- you know, schmooze we're going to hear. And he holds up a bag, and he's wearing a pin. And he holds up a bag, a big bag of pins. And he sent out pins to the entire place. He says, everyone, please put on the pins. So I got my pin, put it on. And you know what the pin said? The pin said, we know it. I think I still have my pin. I think it'll be worth something one day. It says, we know it. So we're all wearing pins saying we know it, but we're not sure. You're getting the idea of what's going on here? Everyone get an idea from the first story? We know it. We know it. What's that pin mean? Who wants to raise their hand and tell me what the pin means? We know you're crazy. Yes, we know we're crazy. Okay, he raised his hand, you said it. Perfect. So, <laughs> who wants to raise your hand and say it? So, he rose his hand and she said it. So the... Anyway, we're the ones who know we're crazy. We know we're crazy. We're crazy. We're the craziest people in the world. We, we, first of all, I mean, I don't even want to go into detail after detail about how crazy we are. But, but people, let's get it like this. But this is the point I want to make, is people pretending they're sane. Those are the people you got to watch out for. <laughs> in a world of crazy, it's sane, technically. What's sane? To be, to, to be, know it. To be, to be insane is sane in this world. To be sane? To be insane? The person to be crazy in this world is basically that's what sanity is. Yes. Well, you missed the story, but it sounds like you didn't somehow. Oh, okay. You walked in after the story, but you basically said a story right there. And, but knowing you're crazy gives you a fighting chance. Gives you a fighting chance for some sanity. Whereas all those other people out there, and they're out there, believe me, we could just all like, like we'd have the women gather by this window, you know, it's orthodox issue. And the men will gather by this window over here, and we'll all stare out the window. You will see people walking around as if they're sane. I mean, everyone's walking around like trying to totally hold it together that, that they've got like some level. Um, here's a nice spot here that they have some level of wherewithal. But I mean, do we really have any wherewithal? 
do we really know what's going on? Are any of us even remotely sane here? And the answer is yes, we're, you're as sane as you realize you're insane. You're as sane as you realize. <laughs> Am I losing something? <laughs> I mean, I'll catch you up if you're, if you're with me. We're as sane as we know we're insane, you mean to say. We're as sane as we know we're insane, meaning, meaning that, that let's, just, let's just talk about the Yetzirah for a minute. Let's just talk about the Yetzirah. There's something called the Yetzirah. It's the evil inclination, meaning it goes away from God. The good inclination, the inclination for Tov, the Yetzirah Tov, brings you towards God. And there's an evil inclination brings you away from God. And it has to be that way because the towards the God and away from God is, is right where you sit in the pocket of free will. Because otherwise your life would be meaningless. You would have no way to earn any connection to God. If you can't move towards God, how do you earn connection to God? So moving towards God gets you closer. Moving away gets you further. But God has to create an impulse away in order to get close to God. In other words, your Yetzirah is your best friend. <laughs> you can't get reward without it. Your Yetzirah is your best friend. And a lot of us are so silly, and especially teenagers, no offense, that you actually, sometimes you actually take your Yetzirah seriously. Like you're actually supposed to do the stuff it has in mind. Which is like, what? The whole point of Yetzirah was to give you a reward, not to do the stupid stuff it tells you to do. That's what it's for. It's for reward. It's your best friend. You can't earn reward without it. But the people trying to hold it together who think they're sane, well, they're the same kind of people who would have a Yetzirah for something and go towards it. Because they think their mind is something you can trust. You weren't expecting me to go there, were you? And so... Trusting one's mind is very dangerous because the mind says a lot of things. But someone who realizes they're crazy, someone who realizes they're insane, is going to know that they're going to have thoughts that are going to pull them very far away from anything that would be good. And they can say, good thing I know I'm crazy. It's a good thing I don't trust my mind. I don't trust my mind because my mind tells me something. <laughs> my mind telling me to do things is irrelevant. It's about as irrelevant as, as seeing a mashugan on the corner saying crazy stuff and thinking that's true. But everyone, at least at this point, let's just pause a second and get the point that your Yetzirah is your best friend. Yetzirah is the only possible way you could ever receive reward in the next world. It was not there for you to listen to it. But you have to realize you're crazy to get anywhere. Because otherwise you'll trust your, your thinking. So why does it say that Hashem shechs the Yetzirah by the time Mashiach comes? It almost seems like it's like, as if it's like an enemy. He kills the enemy. The, uh, the Yetzirah, unfortunately, most people in the world have thought they were sane. Do you guys mind if I loosen up my upper body for a moment? <laughs> Sometimes I just like break into yogic uh, exercise. So, the... Sorry, was it a tough question? No, it wasn't a tough question. It was a great question. 
So the, our chance to earn is now. In the end of days, God will slaughter the Sahara, and, and then there will be no more ability to earn. We'll just live in like kind of some blissed out state with Mashiach. It's going to be really cool. Um, I mean, you've all experienced something like it, I suppose, if you've ever been in a jacuzzi. You know, you're just kind of floating there. <laughs> Everything's really chill. Watch the clouds go by. There's just not a worry in the world. Everything's safe and sound and good. And you ever been you had a good jacuzzi? So, anyway, that time is coming. Until that time, we are all, like, dealing with micro choices, macro choices. We got a little voice in our head saying, like, do that, do that, do that, do that, do that, do that. And another voice saying, like, you out of your mind. And we've got these, we've got these voices going on, and, and we have to distinguish them and get close to God. That's what we're here for, to get close to God. Now, why does he use the word slaughter? Because it sounds like it's bad. Yeah. The reason he uses the word slaughter is think how many people have fallen. Meaning God created them for a purpose and they missed it totally. How many of us know, how many of us have relatives who are completely missing it totally? They're missing it totally. They don't realize that voice is the Yitzhahara. How many of us are missing it totally? That, that we have a voice that's the Yitzhahara, even in the stuff we're doing that's good. For example, arrogance is the Yitzhahara, being arrogant. And how many of us so deeply need to be recognized all day? Meaning we have this constant need for recognition, significance. Isn't that not also insane? If you already know you're created in the image of God, you can't get more significant than that. You know, you're created in the image of the creator of the universe. Like, you're, you're waiting for a human being to compliment you? I mean, you've got the greatest compliment that could ever be. Which just goes to show you that the greatest compliments in the world don't last more than 24 hours. You ever notice that? You can be feeling great because of some recognition you got, some great compliment, or some kind of pat on the back. 24 hours later, you're like, a, you're like an Ethiopian emaciated on the edge of, you know, the border. Just looking for some corn or something. Someone feed me corn. Someone make me feel good. So you see it doesn't work. And this is why rock stars never live. These are my friends over here. We're just kind of on the same page. <laughs> no, um, the what? Rock stars don't even live till they're forty. Rock stars don't even live till they're forty. I mean, you would think if if anyone clapped that much for you, I forgot your name. I'm sorry, Shmaya. I'm sorry, I know I've asked. That's the third time I've asked in the last like month or two. I don't know. Shmaya, you would think if I could get a whole stadium of people to clap for you, you'd be done. <laughs> That's perfect. Like, don't need to ever hear another clap again. But they, they in fact, can't even fall asleep at three in the morning. Because once those applause have disappeared, once those applause have disappeared, yeah, it's over. It's over. And then the pain begins. And when the pain begins, comes the sleeping medication and the pain medication and the and the, uh, you know, the body, the body can hack it for like a couple of years, but after a while, it's, it's done. It just can't, it can't go on. So, meaning we're, we're all, we're all listening to our Yitzhahar. Okay, you may not be eating pork chops. You may not be, do, you may not be breaking Shabbos. 
But you also got one crazy voice in your head saying all kinds of stuff about, you know, about you. That somehow some kind of recognition by others will fix. Extremely temporarily. And then we'll play the game again for another 24 hours until we need more sense of significance. You get what I mean by we're crazy? So once you realize that you're crazy, and that's just another crazy thought, well, think how that goes. We have a five-minute limit on when you can ask a question. You have to be in here five minutes before a question, okay? Just to get the context. Now, the, the... Where'd it go? Question? <laughs> What's that? Oh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I was kidding. Um, does anyone know I was just in the middle of an important point? No, you're going to catch on. You'll catch on. Once you realize you're crazy, then your thoughts. When you realize your thoughts are crazy. And whatever comes out you're 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 not you're uh on crazy thought is still crazy thought because you're still crazy. Talking about recognition. Anyway. Pour him. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate you bringing me some water. That's great. Excuse me. Yeah. Yes. This class about Purim. Thanks for reminding us. Yeah, Megillus. Yeah, basically. You're good. Listen, comes Purim. What goes on in Purim? It's an insane story. God's missing from the story. His name doesn't come up. Where in the Torah is there a book in the Torah where God's name doesn't come up? And what kind of strange story is this? And it's filled with coincidence after coincidence, happenstance after happenstance, where the Jews are going down, and then they're going to come up, and then they're going down, and then they're coming up, and it's like nothing, nothing's going well. Nothing's going well the entire time. So the entire time when we're learning the book of Esther, we're reading this insane story. Star quick. <laughs> We're reading this crazy story, and the story is completely like the name God has been omitted from the story. But look around your life. Look around your life and, and do you see God? Do you see God when you're looking around, when you're talking, you, when you're walking around? Are you sensing God who's creating you and has created you in the image of God? Who's created you in his image? Who, and you are awesome. Like, do you see that? Or when we're getting a ticket, you know, like if someone, let's say, got a parking ticket. <laughs> oh, no. Space that. I can't believe I spaced that out. Shim, I'm sure you just had mercy.
and then we're going to be dressed up in costume. And then suddenly laughing and being completely crazy is what's in. And then, and then uh, alcohol in huge amounts, huge amounts of alcohol. And, and unfortunately, Purim falls short on people who party the rest of the year. People who party the rest of the year don't experience Purim like, uh, like the, for example, the, the people who are Haredi, like black hatitude people, they experience a different Purim than people who party normally. Most people I hang out with party a lot. And so Purim's a little different. But people who don't party a lot and now suddenly are going to drink two, three, four, five bottles of wine in one sitting with loud music playing and just get completely out of their heads. But completely. You'll notice, actually, that the more observant the person is, the more observant the family is, the more they drink. And the weird thing is, is all the people who like party anyway during the year don't get quite as hammered. In fact, I've even seen people who can't drink at all. I've seen a lot of people who couldn't drink at all. Meaning they drank the night before, but when we got to the actual meal, which is the time you drink, you drink actually in the daytime. And when they got to that, it was like... They, there was, they weren't drinking. Like, they couldn't even drink. Um, anyway. Oh, I want to just mention that uh, I'll be probably throwing a porn party this year. Uh, but... It will, um, but I refuse to host it or pay for it. <laughs> so, so what's going on is, is all the WhatsApp groups are talking up, doing something for Forum, but we know nothing because nothing's networked yet. But uh, I, I refuse to host in a way of like location and the and paying for it all. Um, I think what it's going to be is a bring your own wine event. And it'll be late Thursday night next week. And uh, please God, it's going to be it's going to be amazing. We have no idea what we're doing yet, so stay tuned for for next week. You want to come to this event? Thursday night. We have to be at Asia at some point. I yeah, do obviously. I have to show up at Asia. Th- not Friday. Yeah. Thursday night. Thursday. Perm is Wednesday. What? Yeah, Perm is Friday. This is your personal invitation. And the and but again, I have no idea where it's going to be at this point. And I'll try to post it, I suppose, somewhere. Let's do it outside. I was thinking outside. Yo. But what if it's not, what if it's cold? Or rainy? We'll make a, I'll, I'll make a fire. The drinking rainy. is going to take care of the I can make a fire cold. in the rain, I think. I've probably done it. No? When you say so, the alcohol takes care of the cold. We'll commit to making it outside when it rains. Yeah, let's do it outside. I just saw the coolest. Oh, yeah, we'll be committed. I just saw the coolest location ever. Most amazing location. Where? But... It probably costs money. So the location itself. Is, we'll it, out, see. is it outside? Yeah. Ish, the roof upstairs. <laughs> no. no they would it, never accept like outside, that. Outside. The, uh, the camera's bending a little bit. Okay, let's stop talking about the party. And let's start talking about about poor. This month is the month of Adar, and the month of Adar is is actually the letter Aleph Dar. Aleph Dar means one. Aleph is one. 
dar means to dwell, like a dira is a dwelling place. So olive dar means that the oneness dwells during this month. Everything, this is the point that's freaky on Purim, is that everything is one with God, which means everything is good. Now you may say, Haman, who created a decree to kill all of the Jewish people, that's not good. And Mordechai, who's the leader of the generation, who's like this amazing, you know, prophet and great leader, and he's not bad. He must be good. But you see that the whole story is crazy. It could flip because why were the Jews getting their genocidal decree? We were getting our genocidal decree because of Mordechai. Mordechai was the reason. Mordechai was a horrible politician. So we had this guy, Haman, who had risen to be second in power, and he had a major Yitzhak, so he wanted to be recognized big time. He wanted everyone to bow down to him when he walked by. And so everyone bowed down to him. That's what he wants, so we bow down to him. It's not, he's, it's not like he's an idol. Now, there are, you know, obviously, um, Midrashim that say he had idols inside his, his cloak, but no one knows that necessarily. And to save your life, to bow down to a person who's clearly not God may not be such a big problem, especially when he's saying it's for my honor. And so people are bowing down. Everyone's bowing down to him, except for whom? Mordechai, the leader of the Jews. And the next thing you know, we got a genocide. So Mordechai's not very political. He's not a great ambassador here when it comes to like keeping the peace. Our whole genocide is because Mordechai refused to bow down. It upset him so much, and you know that's the famous story of when he, when Haman goes to his, goes to his house, and he's talking. To, you know, they're all talking about his new fame and fortune, and how he's like second in command. He's wearing the signet ring of the king, and like everything's great, and everyone's bowing down to him. What does he say? Except for that one Jew, Mordechai. But going just going back to our own sense of of not mattering our own insignificance, is, did you ever notice that you can have everyone like you except for one person at a camp or at a school or at a job or at a yeshiva? Or, you can have everyone love you except for one. And what do you spend your time thinking about all day? Yeah, you think about that one. And we learned that from Haman. And again, though, but the, it's all our craziness. That's just another example of the craziness, is, is worrying about the one person who doesn't like you. Why you change that? And, oh, and one more thing, just, is how do you expect to ever enjoy life if we made our criteria that absolutely everyone has to love you? I mean, think about how crazy that is. Who in the world, like, should, tell me, uh, we'll take me, for example. Who in this room thinks that everyone has to love me? Meaning Rabbi Glaze. What? <laughs> <laughs> he does. <laughs> does. No one else does. Generally, if you're not making enemies, you're not doing anything. Yeah, but it's not a nice feeling that someone not like you. Yeah, it's terrible. We're going to go to your question. Believe me. The problem was he was doing it in public. He was causing other people to probably copy him and stuff like that. He was causing other enemies. He no, was no, the only enemies he was making was his own. People were angry at Mordechai. The Jews were angry. Yeah, but it was disrespecting him in public, which is a very big embarrassment for him. For Hama. Yeah. People were very angry at Mordechai. Okay. Yeah. Mordechai was... He wasn't very political with Haman or the Jews, because the Jews were getting in all kinds of trouble over this. 
Now, um, anyway, but first of all, we're just realizing. So the first thing is, to, we're talking about sanity today. First thing is get sane. Like, you think everyone's going to love you? Everyone's always going to like you? <laughs> yes or no? I'm a very likable person. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think You think everyone's going to like you? <laughs> Everyone. Not everyone's going to like you. Can you deal with that? <laughs> sure. <laughs> we, have to, we just have to get over the fact that not everyone's going to like us. All of us. Okay, so everyone answer at the same time the word no. Is everyone always going to like you? Everyone say no. 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 Can we get over that? Everyone say yes. Yeah. Yes. yes. If everyone liked you, you would be the first person on earth, besides maybe Adam. You'd be the first person on earth who everyone liked. That everyone liked. You'd be the first person. <coughs> I mean, you're, you're just by having everyone like you creates enemies. For example, if everyone likes you, and now you're Miss Popular, so then some other girl who's coming in from somewhere else is going to see that and hate you. Because she's going to be jealous. Yeah. I mean, you can't even... Being liked is dangerous for having people like you. <sighs> There's no way around it. Not everyone's going to like you. And not everyone's going to like me. And that's okay. We can live with that. The main thing is that you make a difference. Because you know what happens with people who are always trying to make everyone like them? What don't they make? A difference. Think about it. People who spend a little too much time invested and uh, in energy invested and in making everyone like them generally don't make a difference. They don't make a difference. And their life will come and go, and the world will not have been made one iota better as a result of their having spent time on the planet. Meaning, you only get to work in life when you finally say, I'd rather make a difference than have everyone like me. It's only when you start to contribute. It's only when you start to contribute to the world and you let go of what people think of you that your life starts to make a difference otherwise it's all just it's all just ego it's all just everyone should just like me in fact each one of us has a tremendous contribution to the planet unfortunately most people will never discover theirs because of their incessant need to be recognized and what's funny about all this is that if you actually did make a difference and stop worrying about what people think of you, what's going to wind up happening? You're going to be highly recognized. You're going to be highly recognized. I Meaning you'll have stepped on a lot of feet for a while. You'll have hurt a lot of other egos. Not purposely, just people who can't handle the fact that you make a difference. Right? Don't you know people who won't be able to handle you if you started, if you became the next Lori Palatnik or you became the next Pamela Clayman or you became the next Charlie Harari or whatever? Like, if you stood up and made that kind of difference, you don't think your immediate scene would already get stepped on? I mean, at least they would feel stepped on. Who are you? Who are you to save the Jewish people? But in the end, you'll get recognized. Big time. <laughs> you'll get more recognized than you would have gotten recognized had you just spent your life trying to be loved by everybody. And I'm just warning anyone who does make a contribution in a big way and who wants their life to make a difference, I'm warning you now to never, ever associate yourself with that difference. 
Meaning you would think someone who makes a big difference is totally identified with their cause as who they are. They are their cause. You certainly relate to them like that. Meaning I'm sure you relate to me as my, what I represent. I'm sure you relate to me a lot like that. Maybe you don't. Maybe not. <laughs> a lot of others do believe me. You know, a lot of others like think I am what I represent. You know what I mean? However you know me, it's probably the fact that I take a stand. Right? But I'm not that. I'm not that, and it's a nightmare to be that. You don't want to be your cause. You want to have a cause. You want to champion that cause. You want to work day and night to make that cause happen. Because that gives your life meaning. That gives the world meaning. That, and that gives God his purpose. So to, I don't mean God's purpose, but meaning it gives God back. It gives God back. It gives God back why he made you. You get that? When you have a purpose, when you actually contribute, it gives God, God back why he made you. Because God didn't, God didn't make you to just take up more oxygen on the planet. God get, made you to give oxygen. You know, he made you to like make a difference in this world. That's why God put you here. And so by, by doing that, you make a big difference. But I'm mentioning a, kind of another thing is don't... Um, don't be overly identified with the difference you make. That's another rock star issue, where they're overly identified with their trade. And uh, politicians, overly identified. I'm sure Trump and him being the president are one. <laughs> Trump and him being president are completely unified. It's like Shema Yisrael, you know, it's like, it's one. Yeah. <laughs> he goes to bed at night. He probably has a mirror on his ceiling. <laughs> Just so he can say goodnight to the president. <laughs> I mean, how many people get to say goodnight to the president every night? Trump. <laughs> In his ceiling mirror. Now, they said he did some renovations of it. Anyway, I'm sure he's got a disco ball in there too, just to help him fall asleep. So, anyway, the the <laughs> when let me tell you the pitfall why I'm why I'm mentioning this pitfall is when you identify with your contribution. So what happens is you can't enjoy life anymore unless everyone knows who you are, meaning unless they know your contribution. But how would you like to, every time you talk to a person or every time you're the person everywhere you go, you have to somehow let everyone know about your country, you can't just enjoy it. Like, it's a party, there's good food, there's good drinks. Enjoy yourself, get out there and dance. You know, no one needs to know what you do or who you are. You know, you, get, you just enjoy yourself. But when you've identified with the cause, you find yourself, you know, it's almost like you're wearing a bumper sticker around your forehead here about it, you know, just for your own identity. And that's no fun. You know, and then what happens, those people tend to ignore their kids. Because think about it, if you have a major cause that would save the world, is that more important than your parenting? Is it more important than your parenting? What do you think? Having a big cause no. that's going to really change the world, is it more important than parenting? 
your own children. Yeah. yeah, the answer is yes. Huh? Yes. You could abandon, like, just, like, not take care of your children. Ah, uh, you cannot abandon your children. Exactly what I mean. <laughs> but you can make major sacrifices in the process of your raising your family to make sure the world's being saved while monitoring every single kid that they're doing okay, that they're growing nicely, that they're feeling loved and cherished and cared for and supported and nurtured. And the second you, you know, you got to keep a constant eye on who those kids are, meaning, meaning when you have lots of them. And you just got to go down the list and say, how's that one doing? And so what I do in my life is I have every week all my open slots go to one of to any kid that's that I feel needs a boost, and I never let them hit a red line. Obviously, when I say a boost, meaning meaning they just need a little, they just need a little battery charge from daddy, you know, and and all, you know, that's what I do. For example, I had a meeting last night uh, with someone in town at a restaurant, and uh, and I knew my daughter'd be on her way home, and I knew this guy was going to take a little longer, so. I just called that daughter and I said, please show up at this restaurant. And uh, thank God I got 25 minutes, a little battery charge for the young lady, and then, and then my meeting arrived. So anyway, but when, you're, when your cause becomes who you are, those are the kinds of people who do what you said. They forget about it. Forget about their families. They forget about their kids. And they pay that. They pay dearly. I had a Jew recently at a Shabbos table of mine, and he realized that he, he only told me this after Shabbos with tears in his eyes, that he realized after Shabbos at my house that he just wasted the last 30 years of his life. He just wasted the last 30 years of his life. And I offered to help proofread letters to his children that maybe they'd speak to him. You know, like have a relationship with him because they're too, they're too badly burned by him to relate to him now. So, so I offered to help out. But you want to hear the crazy thing about the last thirty years? Guess who was more busy, him or me? I was like doubly busy as he was the last thirty years. I was <coughs> double as busy as he was, and he was watching my house and crying. Watching meeting my Shabbos table and crying from the interaction of our family. And so it's really important that your cause is not who you are. Your cause is your cause, who you are is who you are. Okay, any random questions at this point? Sure. And does anyone have any food here? <laughs> no one's got anything? What do you have? You have some granola? Is it like really dry or is it like edible? Thanks. Eating granola in the middle of a class is going to be a little rough, but I'm getting desperate. Oh, you mean like a granola bar? Uh, I don't eat those. Thank you so much. No gum, thank you. Thank you. I'm just gonna trick my stomach with water for a while. There's food in the next class. Class next round. Like like fruit. No, like cake. Cake. 
Now you know I haven't eaten. I have a salad. I'm a little picky. I have, I'm, I have a salad, but I, salad. I, I like eat half of it. I'm not sick though. If you want it. Oh my gosh, that'd be amazing. But a salad, I'll eat. Do you want the other half? Or? No, I'm happy to give it to you. Okay, just not right now because okay. salad. Forget about it. There's no way I can teach you a salad. <laughs> Although, you know, the truth is... It's Israeli salad, so it's not like big pieces of Oh, lettuce. it's like that chunky uh, sliced dice thing. Like little pieces. You know? Yeah. It's good. Okay, thank you. I appreciate <laughs> that very much. <coughs> Something to look forward to. I left my house early this morning, and my wife's like, food? And I was like... And she's like, wait. And she went and got me... We, have, we eat Powerballs, which are our emergency food. They're made of, you know, like... Chia seed and date and all that cool stuff. It's little balls, but but I finished my Powerballs about two hours ago. That's so far away. Okay, so you ask why is God not inside this the story? So the story is ultimately the the genocide attempt is at the hands of of Haman. Haman's from the tribe of Amalek. Amalek's whole job is to erase God's hand from creation to make this to make it look as if this creation is total happenstance total chance that's what Amalek's all about is that everything's just coincidental that God's hand isn't running the show and so when we have this attack from Amalek which is our second of three attacks from Amalek when we have that attack we, we get to read the story now what's the story called Megillat Esther Megillah means what? to reveal and Esther means the hidden, the, to reveal the hidden. So we're reading a book called, I know everyone calls it the scroll of Esther, but it means the revelation of the hidden. What is the hidden? The hidden is that God's running the show. Haman is the one who created the Jews to go into three days of fasting and prayer. He unites the Jews like never before. So the evil guy unites the Jews. Mordechai, the good guy, creates the genocide. Mordechai creates genocide. Haman creates the decree which creates the, the unification of all of Israel and the acceptance of God and the full repentance over where they had fallen it during the Second Temple and the whole Persian exile. And the, that doubt is exactly why the book lacks God's name in it. Because we are all walking around that. This book, did you know that in the times of Mashiach, we will not have any of our books, not even the five books of Moses. No books. No more books. And, the, and we'll have no more holidays. We'll have no more, no more books and no more holidays. What are we going to learn? Megillus Esther. The only book that will be around will be Megillus Esther. That will be the only book left that has anything to do with our world. Why? When we get to the Why? times of Mashiach. Why Megillus Esther? It's not they'll be gone, they'll just be unnecessary because whatever they're there to do will be done. Meaning, whatever they're due to, to create in us a nation of prophets, the books of the prophets will no longer be needed. You'll be there. I mean, we're all going to be in this amazing state. But we're still going to celebrate Purim. Purim will be, we're not going to have Rosh Hashanah, not Yom Kippur. We're going to be able to eat on Yom Kippur. We're going to have suk- no sukkah. Imagine those sukkahs. No pesa. All we're going to have is Purim. Why don't we want to remember? Well, what's that? Why don't we want to remember the miracles? I don't think we're going to have any lack of memory. I think the whole idea of lack of memory is going to go away too. Meaning we're just going to be living in the moment for like always. I mean, do you need to remember anything when you're in the moment? 
You know, you don't have to remember anything. We're all going to be living in the moment. God's, it's going to be a kind of time where, like, you're going to realize that the infinite's unfolding into this. And so, when you, whenever you realize the infinite's unfolding into this moment, remember we talked about this, God doesn't do, God doesn't do windows, God doesn't do, God doesn't do time. God doesn't do time. What, what's, what's God do? God just creates the world from infinite to finite, meaning it's an unfolding of infinite <laughs> to finite. It can't be any other way, obviously, because if, if the, what's creating the world? Where's the world coming from? Where would it possibly be coming from? It has to be coming from God. All there was was God. So God has to be what's creating the world. So if God's creating the world, so he's creating the world of himself, well... This is, the, this is basically, the finite is the unfolding of infinite into finite. There's no time elapsed. But from the human perspective, thousands and thousands of nows looks like time passage. But really, no time elapses. So in the times of Mashiach, we'll have the clarity that there's no such thing as a passage of time. The whole planet's going to get this. It's going to be super awesome. It's going to be really, really amazing times. That's why uh, the Rambam and others say that nothing's going to change during the first, until 6,000 years, even in the times of Mashiach. Nothing's really going to change from the laws of nature. Everything's going to stay the same. We're not going into some, like, different law of nature or something. It'll be the same world. The only difference will be that you'll be truly hooked up to the, to the flow of infinite into finite, into creation. Now, interestingly, God decided not to hit us with that in one big jolt, He's doing a time release thing. This is why you'll notice, um, have you noticed at all that there's this whole movement out there called mindfulness and, and, um, and there, there's also, whatever, there's, there's all these teachings today about, about the distinction between thought and self. That the self has no place or time. It's your soul. Yourself is your soul. And then you have thoughts. So there's the thoughts and there's yourself, but you are not the thoughts. You are yourself. I mean, think about it. The thoughts you're having right now, the thoughts you're having right now, you, you're aware of, right? Aren't you aware of your thoughts right now? Well, who are you that's aware of those thoughts? Can't be the thoughts. Did you get that? Got it? You're aware of your thinking right now? Well, who is that? Who is that aware of that thinking? So, this ability to instantly get what I just said which you could never have gotten 10 years ago. That ability to get what I just said, the whole world now gets. Now, they don't get it quick. You've got to exercise. You've got to gain discipline. You know, it's a disciplined way of thinking where you're not letting your thoughts take you over. No hijackings from your thinking so that your brain actually becomes... And what happens is you start increasing brain capacity. It's kind of like our earlier talk about the crazy water, the wheat that... Or the, oh, it was wheat. Sorry, it wasn't water. It was wheat that made everyone crazy. I knew when I said water. I knew something was up. It was the wheat. Anyway, but the but our this is the same story. Is you being able to be the witness of your thinking is is the same kind of separation of 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 someone who realizes. How you doing, Rabbi? Great, fantastic. I can't believe I'm seeing you. This is the greatest surprise I ever had. You want to say something? Can you share one thing? For, uh, 
Share one thing, one thing. One thing. You guys don't know, you just had like the biggest topic. Fuck his head in my class. You know who that is? His name is Rabbi Shimon Horowitz. He's written, authored many books, and he's uh, just a really, really holy Jew. Now, God's not going to do it all in one fell swoop because it would probably freak the world out. But I'd like you guys to think about it. Think about the following. If you are you, and your thoughts are your thoughts, and you are not your thoughts, but you are just the observer of those thoughts, can you steal? Steal what? Something from somebody. Can you steal something? I'm a bit late, Can you steal something from somebody? Yeah, why not? No. What? Your thoughts are the ones that want you to steal. <laughs> It'd be really hard to steal for the reason that she just said, is you just instantly recognize it's your thoughts that are doing this. It's not you. It's just your stupid thoughts. There? Yeah, we feel a marker. And I take your marker. Yeah. And I say, now your marker is my marker. Yeah. I just took your marker. We're not discussing whether you have the ability to steal. We're talking about your propensity to steal. Once you realize your thoughts are not who you are, but they're just, they're just mental... You know, notes being made all the time. So the, the urge to steal something is no longer really that important. Like, like you said, but I'm going to go even further. What do you and I share? What do we share? What, the thoughts we can't share. Every one of us in this room is going to be thinking different thoughts right now. But what do we share? <coughs> we share the self. We share the being. The being is, the, is, what is the being? Everything comes from somewhere. So where does, your, where does that sense of self come from, your actual point of reference? Where does your consciousness come from? So your consciousness <laughs> comes from God. Where else would it come from? I mean, it, how do you have consciousness? So your consciousness is from God. Well, if I have consciousness and you have consciousness, that means we all share the consciousness. Now, I'm not you and you're not me. You have your consciousness, I have my consciousness. But because the consciousness comes without content, listen carefully, comes without content. Consciousness doesn't come with content. Content's the brain's responsible for. Consciousness has no content. Well, if my consciousness has no content, it's just my sense of self. And your consciousness has no conscience. It's just your sense of self. Well, then, we, and we probably have a lot in common. And me stealing from you is stealing from me. And suddenly you, you put down your guns, you put down your weapons, you put down your ideologies. You put down the stuff that separates us. It's Mashiach. It's basically Mashiach. Now, God's gifting this to the world right now. If we tried to have this conversation 10 years ago, we could not have. Every one of you would have to go to India for like 10 years of celibacy and fasting. And for some of you, the first part would probably be pretty good for you right now. And the, the, but a lot, of, a lot of serious, serious spiritual discipline to have this conversation that we're having now. And you could have just come out of the Mila Mall, you know, out of the gap, you know, having just stuffed your belly at Cafe Ramon. And you're just like, don't know the first thing about such conversations, but yet you can have it and get conscious. Because Hashem's bringing Mashiach now. He's just bringing it slowly, slowly. Geographical moves like Temple Mount. Jews moving to Israel. Slowly it's coming. 
Okay, everyone. Shalom, shalom. That's Lachal Rabbi. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.